the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. When I got saved, one of the first things I began to do was look at my past and see what I could learn from that, and it was a lot. <laughs> There was a lot of things. I, I knew what not to do anymore. You could put it like that. I had a lot of things that I wanted to change, a lot of things I wanted to make amends for. One of the things was I was thinking about my poor little brother. He's six years younger than me. And when we grew up, I was just the typical big brother, picking on him all the time. Uh, I was his manager. He was the toughest kid in the neighborhood, and he was my little prize fighter. You know, I'd, well, we won't go there, but it, it wasn't good. We were like two little heathens in Whitehaven, you know. And so as once I got saved, I started feeling bad about the way I treated my little brother. I said, you know what? I need to do something. So I went to my wife, Angie, and I said, Angie, I just got this in my heart. I feel like I really need to show Heath that I'm sorry about the way I've been. To, to let him know I, I apologize for being a, a mean big brother. And I just want to do something nice for him. And I could see tears forming in Angie's eyes. As she started reaching for her checkbook, digging through her purse, you know how it went. And, and so she gave me a check, and I said, thank you, Angie. I'm going to go get him something. And I knew Heath had been longing for this Browning automatic rifle, deer hunting rifle. And so I went down to the deer store, deer hunting store. <laughs> I wish there was a deer store to save us a lot of money. You just get the deer direct. How come somebody hadn't thought of that? Dear Direct. No, but I went down to the, the gun store and I bought him that beautiful Browning rifle that he'd had his eye on. I knew it was it because it had the gold trigger and the etching on the side. It was automatic. It was, ooh, ooh, ooh. And so I got him that and I, I brought it to his house. I laid it on the front doorstep with a note said, Heath, I love you. I'm sorry I wasn't the world's best big brother and everything, but I just wanted to give you this and, and tell you how much you mean to me. And I, and I left. And he called me that night after he got home and had found the rifle. And he's like, man, you weren't that bad. We were just brothers. You know, it wasn't, a, sometimes it, it wasn't no big deal to him. You know, it was like, that's just the way things were. It wasn't no big deal, but I appreciate it, man. This is the one I wanted. We talked about the rifle, got all excited about the rifle. He said, you know, me and my wife, Mindy, we've been saving up you know, to get that rifle. And now here you give it to me. He said, I talked to many. And she said, yes, we already got the money saved up. Why don't we buy a guy a rifle so both of y'all have matching rifles as brothers? And I said, no, no, Heath, no. I mean, I didn't do it for that. You know, I, I didn't, I don't want anything in return. I just wanted to give. It's just the love of God. Just wanted, showed me that I need to, to give to you. He goes, but, but we already got the money saved up. It'd be awesome. Me and you can go hunting together. We'll both have rifles. Now, who was I? To rob Heath of the joy of all this giving stuff. I mean, the joy that I had just experienced. I wanted him to feel that. So I finally relented and I said, yes, Heath, you can buy me that rifle. He bought me one. So we got matching rifles. How many remembers my story about wheeling and dealing last week? How many thinks I was just wheeling and dealing? Every time I get that rifle out to go hunting, I can see Angie over there scratching her head. She's like, did I get played? Well, I'll tell you later if, if, if I was wheeling and dealing or not. We started a new series called A Fast February. And I hope February goes fast because it's my least favorite month. I'm glad it's only got 21, 28 days because I don't think I can make it 29. I have to save up for that leap year. It's like, oh my goodness, it's leap year. I don't know if I'll make it through February. February's no football. Baseball in started. It's too cold to go fishing. All the good hunting seasons are over with. It's 
dark all the time. I don't know if it even gets daylight in February. Does it get daylight in February? It's the coldest month of the year. Most of us are just enduring fe- February, if we'll be honest. I don't know about you. I don't, I'm sorry. Am I getting you down on February? It's a whole month. We shouldn't get down on it, I guess. But that's not the reason I call this series a fast February. That's also something I'm going to tell you a little later. <laughs> Why? But today I'm going to tell you your first answer on your sheet there is today's message is entitled Super Serious. Somebody say that with me. Super Serious. Y'all going to help me preach today? I need help preaching sometimes, as you can tell. Jesus, in Matthew 26, 41, he'd asked the disciples to pray and he came back and they were sleeping. And this is what he told them. He said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The Spirit got good intentions. The Spirit, and it's a little s spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's your human spirit. Your human spirit wants to do good. It's willing. But the flesh is what the problem is. The flesh is weak. If I was to ask you, is your spirit willing to do good? Don't you have good intentions? You would raise your hand. In fact, let's just all raise our hand. I want to do good. I've got good intentions in my life. If I lived out all the good intentions that I have, I would be world famous. My life would be incredible. People would be saying, what happened to them? Because of the ability to live out our good intentions. So my question is, if we've got good intentions, and we do, and it's what we want to do, why don't we do it? What keeps us from living out this perfect life that we want to live with our good intentions? Last week we talked about Jesus, about how in 33 years he shook up the world. You remember? I mean, he lived out his good intentions. He didn't leave anything undone. He had more than good intentions. He was super serious about the plan of God. Say super serious. Are you super serious about receiving something today? Say super serious. Jesus was super serious. And I know some people say, well, I don't like super serious people. They're boring. They're self-absorbed. They're only thinking about getting it done. They're task-oriented. They're no fun to hang around. But that wasn't the case with Jesus. You see, Jesus wasn't super serious about himself. He was super serious about God's plan. And there's a big difference. He said, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? And what's the father's business? You? You? So Jesus was super serious about you. You like people that's super serious about you, don't you? See, Jesus, everybody wanted to be with Jesus. The sinners wanted to eat and hang out with him. The little kids wanted to crawl up in his lap. The multitudes came to him for wisdom. So he was super serious, but he was super likable. Because he wasn't super serious about self, he was super serious about God's plan for his life. And doing things God's way gives you God's results. Jesus proved that he was super serious about us because he was willing to pay any price for us. And he paid it, he proved it. And another thing I see that Jesus did, he lived with an expectation of dying. I mean, he came, he knew he was going to die. He knew his purpose. He discovered himself in the in the pages of scripture. And he said, "That's me." In Isaiah 53, I'm the suffering servant. I'm going to die. And because he knew that his time was short, he always got around to it. He always did what he needed to do. 
He was super serious. He was super focused. He knew it. He, in the limited time that we have as human beings, we got to take the most of every moment that we have, live every second with an expectation of dying. Because guess what? We're all dying. You may be in the best health of your life right now, but you are in a stage of dying. There's a 100% mortality rate right here in DeSoto County. For every one person that lives, one person dies. And so we shouldn't just wait till a funeral when we see somebody die to get excited about living. We should live with an expectation of I've got so many hours on this earth, I don't know how many, but I want to make them what? Count. Jesus had two things that many of us do not. He had good habits and a super serious dependence on the Holy Spirit. He had good habits and a super serious dependence on the Holy Spirit. We typically have bad habits and a super serious dependence on our flesh. The Spirit's the one that's willing, but it's the flesh that's weak. And this contrast was proved out in the garden that night, wasn't it? Jesus, he took all of his disciples. They just had the Last Supper. He just told them some mighty important stuff. And Peter was standing up talking about, oh, I got you, Jesus. I got you back. Ain't nothing going to happen to you. And so they walk out, and uh, they go into the garden, and he tells nine of them, y'all stay here. And he took his three most trusted companions. I think it was Peter, James, and John, the sons of thunder. And he said, y'all come with me. And he took them a little bit further, and he, he sat them down, and y'all said, he said, y'all stay here. Now look, my soul is in anguish to the point of death. This is serious. I know what's about to happen to me. Y'all sit here and pray. Pray with me. Watch with me. And he goes a little bit further into the garden where we know he prays, Lord, if this cup could be taken from me. Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he prays earnestly. And then he comes back. And all three of those knuckleheads are are sleeping. Do you believe that? Could you not watch with me one hour? One hour, Jesus asked. He goes away, he prays again. Comes back, same thing, goes away, prays again. He's praying to the point where the Bible says he's sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. And he comes back and the disciples are sawing great logs of snoring. What is the difference between the one who's super serious and the one who says he's super serious and got all these good intentions but falls asleep on the job? See, Jesus is still asking for our support. Jesus did his work here on the earth. He's canceled the debt of sin against mankind. But he's still calling us to be ambassadors, to go out and to let people know this so that they can receive the gift. Because the gift does no good unless you receive it into your life. And he's saying, can you watch with me one hour? And Jesus is calling each one of us to live our best life today. Last week we talked about procrastination. It's putting off something that should be done. Be super serious. Look at your neighbor and say, be super serious. But you look around, especially here in America, the church is super asleep. Super seriously snoring. And we're losing ground. And we have more churches closing than we have churches opening. And the churches, all these big buildings we built in the 50s and the 60s are, are going out of business. 
And this new generation is not here. And we're losing ground. Precious time. Precious lives that Jesus bought with his own blood. What's the, why are we not super serious about the things of God? You have to ask your, yourself, where are you at in your relationship with Jesus? Are you just operating in the, fa- in, in the flesh? Because that's, I believe, is the problem in the church today. If we have rejected the Holy Spirit, the supernatural power of God, we have said, well, I don't know about all that. That seems freaky to me. Something supernatural, you can't wrap your mind about it. That would take some faith to believe in things that you don't understand. It would be easy to make God manageable and to put him in a box where you can make him safe and comfortable. Oh, I can, I can believe in a God that I can control. Now, this is just coming off the cuff. This ain't in my notes, so it must be something to it. See, Peter, I picture him as a big, strong guy, don't you? He was a fisherman. He was a natural-born leader. He's gruff and rough and tough. And you think, man, if anybody can bull their way through something in life with the flesh, it would be Peter. But we see that it was not enough. Peter talked a good game. And that's what the flesh does. The flesh talks a good game, but it don't do nothing. Oh, my goodness. Man, this is just stirring me to want to, to, to preach, like you said. Because we got, I don't talk to any Christians that don't talk a good game. I don't know of any Christians that don't have good intentions. But could you not pray one hour? Could you not watch with me? The flesh talks a a big game, but it falls asleep on the job. Maybe we need to do something different. Jesus warned Peter, At the Last Supper, before they went to the garden, he said, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Why would Satan want to sift him like wheat? What does that mean? I mean... I don't know how they do wheat, but I'm thinking about, you know, sip, sieve, uh, what are they, sieving, sieving, a sieve, or what are you, you put it gold in there, a sieve, and you, and you shake it up, and you see what's left, sift it, to shake it, and see, God comes and he shakes our life, I'd rather have God come and shake my life than to wait for the devil to come and shake my life and sift me like wheat to see what's left. The devil says, I want to sift him. I want to see what's left. When it's all said and done, all that spiritual talk's going to hit the ground and there ain't going to be nothing left but his flesh. God saying once again, I will shake heaven and I will shake earth. And I want to see if there's anything real left. See, it's your spirit that's going to heaven. Not this body, not this flesh. Wow, I'm way off my notes. Turn to Galatians 5. Somebody said, we've been waiting for you to get off your notes for years, Pastor. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Hey, you know, I think my notes will come from God too, you know. All right. <laughs> if, they, if I didn't think my notes came from God, I wouldn't preach them. All right, Galatians 5, 16. 
God is so good to us. He's so merciful to us. He sees the way we are and he still likes us. He knows what we've done and he's still for us. Galatians 5, 16, the apostle Paul says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. That concludes today's message. We can go home. Y'all want me to go on? Okay. So I said, no, <laughs> no. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature or your flesh craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires are just the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you would not be free to carry out your good intentions. Those good intentions that you have, you're not carrying them out because there's a fighting and a war going on and you're letting it happen and you haven't chose a victor yet. Last week I told you about how the Lord showed me how to handle my children. I showed them the hands. When a kid was acting bad, I'd say, on this hand, you can keep going like that, or you're going to get in trouble, you're going to get grounded, this, this, this. Or on the other hand, if, if you'll stop crying and act right and do good, then me and you will go play or we'll do this. And I would show them the hands and just break it down. Just break it down. Make it simple. Black and white, good and evil. And, and that's what God mercifully does to us in Scripture. He breaks it down. He gives us the hands. He makes it so plain that you would be a fool to cho choose the wrong hand. And this is what is happening here in Galatians. If you go to verse 19, he says, On this hand, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, Okay, you got your sinful nature on this hand. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger. These are all on the same hand. He's laying it out for you. Now, I feel like I want to stop and say, some of you... Your lives have been filled with hostility, quarreling, and jealousy, and outburst of anger since you were a young kid. And you have lived in this, in this sinful nature for so long, you think it's normal. You think it's normal for when you get mad, you can cuss somebody out. Whether it be a child, whether it be your wife, your husband... You think that jealousy is normal. You've got this irrational jealousy. You think going back and forth with your spouse or your parents and just quarreling all the time is just normal everyday business. That's just the way life is. But let me share with you, that is not normal. It may be normal. I, let me say, that is not God's intention. There is a better way. See, that is following your sinful nature. Now, you may have been abused. That might be the way you grew up. Your parents may have taught you that, and I'm sure they did. And if you have deep-seated issues where you think that these things are just normal life, this is all you know, then you need to get into the Word of God because the truth will set you free. And if it's bad enough, and your life is ruined because of these things, you might need to get professional help. Find you a good Christian psychiatrist or something. I know one that I can recommend. You might need to sit down with the pastor and talk through your issues. But God wants a light to come on. He wants to see, show you that that is not why you were here. Those natural responses need to change. And it's the love of God that's going to change. And the Holy Spirit of God is going to be the power to evoke the change in your life so that you can carry out the good intentions. 
The sinful nature just wants to do evil. Outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. I know some people that ain't happy unless they're causing drama. Their life revolves around drama. They, they get some weird endorphin release when people are mad at them. I like it. That's not right. Envy. Drunkenness. If you're getting drunk all the time, that's not because you're, you know, man, me and my buddies, we party hardy and all this stuff. That was when you were a teenager and you was learning right from wrong. But now that you're an adult and you're still getting drunk, it's, it's a symptom. It's a sign that there's something wrong on the inside of you. And you're masking the hurt that's deep down in you. And until you realize and you begin to let God deal with the hurt, you will continue to live in these cycles of defeatedness. If that's a word. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And let's call them what they are. They're sin. That's not my little problem. It's a sin. Call it what it is and fight it like you hate it. Because God hates sin. He says, let me tell you again as I have before that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's serious business. See, God has treasures laid up for you. He wants you to inherit good things. And He's showing you the hands. Look, you can continue to live like the rest of the world. You can continue to live out of your sinful nature. And this is what you're going to get. But thank goodness for the other hand. Verse 22 says, But the Holy Spirit produces the kind of, this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. And joy, and peace, and patience, and goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these kind of things, there ain't no law. This is God's will. Over here, you got Satan's will to sift you as wheat. But over here, you got God's will. Over here, you're, you've got nothing but good intentions. Over here, you're going to live them out. Which hand? The sinful nature or the, the Holy Spirit that now dwells in you if you are indeed a child of God. You know, I don't even have to know you. I could sit down in my office with you and I could just ask you about the way you conduct your day. The little habits, the things that you do, how many times you pray or what's your philosophy about going to church. Just ask you just a few questions. And I could accurately predict where you stand in this life right now. I could tell you pretty much how much money you got, how your marriage is going or how it used to go before you got divorced. I could tell you, I could probably tell you everything about your life just by listening to answering a few questions because Galatians 6, 7 says, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. So if I find out the things that you're sowing, I know what's going to happen. And thus, that would behoove us to think the things that I'm planting right now in my life will be the things that I'm reaping later. So maybe if I change the seed I'm putting in the ground now, my life will begin to reap different and produce fruit in the future. The same thing I could ask you about your relationship to the Holy Spirit. And I could tell you if you're getting man's results or you're getting God's results. People, maybe, you, I, don't, I don't know the reason. But people go to church and the Holy Spirit is the last thing they want to hear about. But yet He's the one Jesus sent to teach us all things, to bring all things to our members, to be our comforter, to be our guide, 
to be our power in this life so that we could. Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also because I go to the Father and I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you somebody who's going to empower you to live out your good intentions. But we want to say, well, I don't want that Holy Ghost stuff because it sounds spooky. I just want to stay with what I know, stay with what I know, stay with what I know. Man, if, they, if somebody raises their hand in that church, I'm out of there. A bunch of weird folks. I don't believe in it. Romans 8, 5 says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Leads to that hand. Letting your sinful nature take control. Just your, your Peter thoughts. Mine, uh, I got good intentions. I'm going to watch you. I got your back, Jesus. <laughs> but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. We need to rethink this gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given us. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's when you'll receive power. Jesus said, I don't even want you to leave Jerusalem, you bunch of knuckleheads, until you be endued with power from on high. Don't even go out there and try to do it in your flesh. Don't even knock on the door. Without self-discipline, or a putting under of this flesh, without making the choice and sticking with it and going with it, without putting the flesh under and getting super serious about following the Holy Spirit, we will fall woefully short of God's plan for our life. You will fall woefully short. You will stand before Jesus one day, and you might get up here and say, I did some pretty good things. I was better than most people on my street. And he said, you didn't enter into the first phase of the plan I had for your life didn't come close you never even consulted me you just lived your life in your little pea brain and never consulted me about anything and I am your designer your creator and your king and our good intentions stay just that Good intentions. Congratulations. You've got the best intentions of anybody I've ever seen. Man, you've got a good heart. Man, you've got a good heart. He's got such good intentions. I know he wants to do good. I do sometimes, Pastor. I, sometimes I pray it out and walk it out. But you see, a part-time Christian is only going to get part-time Christian results. You're just going to have an okay marriage. At least we didn't get a divorce. It's miserable, but hey, we're still together. <laughs> My finances, you know, I, I, most of the time I have enough money to make it to the end of the month. My, my health, well, yeah, I'm still here. Part-time Christians. How's your relationship with Jesus? Well... To be honest, it's kind of dry and dusty, like that Bible on my coffee table. Those are the kind of things that come from compromise and half-heartedness. Letting the flesh rule. You see, the flesh is a powerful force. It's trying to talk you down. You're getting built up right now in the spirit. But when you leave, if you, if, if you were delayed lunch 30 minutes, your flesh will be talking you out of everything you learned here today. <laughs> but think how our lives could be if we just decided on the front end. Come hell or high water, I'm set, setting my face like flint. And I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to be super serious about the things of God, and I'm going to carry out my good intentions. Jesus explained the parable of the sower in Mark 4.18. 
He said the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of life. You see, it's not just the flesh, it's the external too. The devil is bringing the pressure. And there's the worries of life, and there's temptations, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. And so no fruit is produced. None of your intentions are lived out. And it's just, God breaks it down so simple. It's what, what we feed that grows. And what we starve dies. What we feed gets stronger. And what we starve gets weaker. Now, I don't see anybody in here that seems to have a problem with feeding your flesh. I don't see anybody in here starving their flesh. Withholding anything, any good desire that our flesh has. That's maybe what's wrong with America because we're, we have grown so spoiled. But if you want godly results, you're going to have to begin to starve this flesh and let the spirit take control of your life. You're going to have to have what we call self-discipline. You're going to have to put self under. We're body, we're soul, and we're spirit. We're three-part beings. We need this body. We, well, I'm glad we have a soul, a personality. I'm glad we have a mind, a will, and emotions. But the body and the soul are not to drive. They're not to be in charge. It is the Spirit of God that lives inside of us that must make the decisions. It must tell the body and the soul what to do. We were bought with a price. You're not your own. You belong to Christ. He gives you the desires of your heart that you want to live out. But you cannot let the flesh make the decision. If we don't tell our body and soul what to do, the devil will sift us like wheat. If we don't tell our money what to do, we'll be like men walking around with holes in their pocket. If we don't plan our time, it'll slip right on away. It'll be gone. <laughs> if we don't choose to love, we will default to self. Self defaults to self. We're broken by sin. And I'm telling you the way to be whole. To change those patterns, those thoughts. You've got to put a new sheriff in town. There's got to be a new sheriff in town. If we don't tell our flesh what to do, it's going to tell us what to do. And that's why I'm calling for a church-wide time of prayer and fasting for the first 21 days of February. <laughs> 21 days of February. First 21 days. The last seven days we'll celebrate. We'll come off the fast and we'll celebrate. But I want for the first 21 days as pastor, if you will follow my leadership, we're going to pray and we're going to fast and we're going to get things in order for 2019. And see, all of January, you didn't know it, but God has been preparing the people for this. I have known for some time that this was coming. And I've been waiting for the right time. And God has been giving me the messages to, to instill in you a desire to put a new sheriff in town. To let the Holy Spirit lead and guide your lives. And so next week, I'll, be, I'll get into more detail about the fast, what kind of fast. Uh, give you, you know, I'm not, this is not for us to go out and punish ourselves, to show how spiritual we are by. Damaging ourselves. No, this is about just the teaching the flesh who is in control. And I'll give you more details. We'll talk more about that next week. So you want to come next week. But fasting will just simply separate us from our worldly cravings and draw us closer to God. Now, we don't just fast, but along with the fasting is prayer. You replace the time that you, you give up eating or you stop looking at social media or whatever the fast may entail and you use that time to get closer to God. 
Fasting and prayer awakens our true spiritual life. Fasting puts God back on the throne and it shows us that we can make up our minds and we can stick to it. You, you are in control. The Holy Spirit, you let the Holy Spirit control you. Not this flesh. We can always do the right thing. People ask me all the time, what do I need to do about this? Man, I got this situation. And I don't know what to do. Just do the right thing. There's always a right thing to do. But if I do the right thing, it's going to cost me. Yep. But still doing the right thing is the right thing. I have people lie to me all the time. And they lie because it, it just seems easier. But the devil is the father of lies. Jesus tells the truth. It's, not, it's, it's the hard thing to do to walk the straight and narrow. But it's the right thing to do. The Bible says that the, it was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness. You see, Jesus was so super serious about his ministry that he started it with a 40-day fast. No water out in the wilderness, no food for 40 days. Now, I don't know if we could survive that. I'm not, I'm not telling anybody to, to, to not consult your doctor or something before you do something crazy. Okay? But Jesus was super serious, and Jesus got super serious results. You see, the devil came immediately to tempt Jesus. When he thought he was weak, he thought because he wasn't eating, because he was fasting, I got him now. He'll, he'll want to make these stones turn to bread. But because Jesus had already put the flesh under, the temptation was nothing to him. Do you see how it works opposite than what the devil thinks? If you've ever fasted food, the first three or four days is incredibly difficult. Because your flesh is crying out. It, why? Why? You better feed me. This ain't never happened before. But once you get that flesh under control, you get that fire tamped down, man, you get in tune with God. You get in tune with God. Now, I'm, I'm not saying anybody fast for three or four days. All food. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about doing it in a constructive way next week. So make sure you be here for next week. But the devil is no match for somebody who has put their flesh under. In fact, it's your flesh is more problem to you most of the time than the devil. <laughs> Let's turn to Haggai chapter 2. Who can tell me what it's sandwiched between? The two Z's, Zephaniah and Zechariah. Took us 30 minutes to get there last week. Let's see if somebody can get there quicker this week. You already there? Woo, let me give him a piece of candy. You must have been there from last. You had your bookmark from there. Anybody else there? Look at it, left-handed. I ain't even there yet. But that's all right. I got notes. All right. Last week, we talked about, in the book of Haggai, God was upset that Nehemiah had came and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem after it had been torn down by the Babylonians. And they had begun to rebuild the city. And uh, Zerubbabel was the governor. And uh, Joshua was the, the priest. And they began to reform the, the city of Jerusalem. God's people had come back. And uh, they, were, they started building the foundation of God's house, the temple. And they were all excited about the things of God. You're all excited when God gives you structure back to your life. And you, you, get, you get your city rebuilt. Man, I'm, I'm going to rebuild a good city now. But then somewhere along the line, they had lost focus and they started building their own kingdoms. Everybody had started building their own houses. And they had just left the foundation of the temple bare and nobody was given to the house of God anymore. They had lost sight of what had saved them in the first place. And in verse, I don't remember what it was, uh, chapter 1, God said that you guys are living in mansions, but you have 
left my house in shambles. And God was upset. Well, today we're going to look at chapter 2 and see what God says about that. In verse 4, it says, But now, the Lord says, Now, I love that word, because that's where we live. We live in the now. God is a God that will forget the past. If you just ask Him, and He will be with you now. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now is the time. Now. 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 But now, the Lord says, Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. You know, you're a minority in church this morning. You're the people still left in the land. And now, get to work. For I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you. God could have gotten mad and took his spirit from them. They were in the Old Testament. They don't even have the promises that we have. Now that we're born again, God's Holy Spirit comes into us and there's no leaving because he melds with our spirit. We become one with God in Christ Jesus. There's no separation. There's no chance for him to leave because we're like two liquids poured together. You can't separate them back. He says, I will never leave you or I will never forsake you. You have his spirit now. My spirit remains among you just as I promised when you came out of Egypt, when you came out of the world's ways, when you gave your heart to me. I told you I promised you my spirit and my spirit's still with you. So do not be afraid. For this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth. There's going to be some sifting going on, but this time it's going to be God. I will again shake the heavens and the earth and the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations. And then the treasures of all the nations will be brought into this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And the future glory of this temple will be greater than the past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. It's going to get better than you ever thought it was in the past. You thought you knew what you wanted God to do. And you're going to say, God, I'm glad you did your thing instead of mine. And in the place I will bring peace. Because I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. He's saying, watch what I will build through you, my people. Those that are called by my name. Those who will follow my spirit. Those who know it's time to get super serious. Those who are not part time. Those who don't just have good intentions, but those who plan on carrying it out. It's time to get super serious. When I pull my rifle out, Angie still scratches her head. She's still not sure. But my friends, I'm not a wheeler dealer anymore. God does my wheeling and dealing for me. And that's just an example of what God will do. All I wanted to do was bless my brother, make amends. All I wanted to do was bless him. I wanted to help somebody else. But that's what happens. When you get God in the midst of your situation, both of you end up with something good. Let God be large and in charge. He's paid the cost to be the boss. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He is God. 
He is the power of God in your life. He is the power to overcome sin. He is the power to put under the flesh. To keep that old man in the grave where he belongs, where you crucified him when you came to Jesus. When you said, Jesus, be Lord. Holy Spirit is Lord. He is the Spirit of Jesus Christ Himself. And we need to follow and obey gladly and just do the right thing and make it our habit and make it our MO, make it our, our the way we do life. Just doing what the Holy Spirit says. This flesh will always just get fleshly results. It'll always fall asleep on the job. But that same Peter, who was so weak in the garden, after filled with the Holy Spirit, stood before the very high priest that condemned Jesus to die on the cross, stood before them and accused them of killing the Messiah face to face. The same Peter who ran from a little maiden at the fire and denied Christ three times, stood before Jesus' killers and said, You have crucified the Lord of glory. Boldness. And they perceived that he had been with Jesus. They perceived that these unlearned fishermen had been with Jesus. They didn't get fishermen results. Not natural fishermen's results. They had become fishers of men in the power of God. And that's where your good intentions are to lie. And all things are possible to him that believes. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.